Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everybody. It is Charles Marshall here hosting with my co-host, Phil Padalo. Uh Welcome, Bill. Good to be back with you, Charles. Sorry about our last broadcast, but uh, inadvertent bee sting uh, got me, but I'm back in action. I mean, and just so the, the, the listeners will know that it wasn't just a bee sting. I mean, this is a, you know, hornet sting, and uh, I'm sure Montana hornets, as big as Montana is, and is open uh, and big and, you know, sort of big and uh, all the creatures actually, when you're, you know, at at elevation and uh, you've got big mountains around you, uh, typically you get some really large variations on everything. I mean, I grew up with some serious hornets just in the Washington, D.C. area, Maryland, where I grew up. And, uh, yeah, that's not a small thing, especially when the the body can overreact to uh, to that event because of uh, the sensitivity that a lot of us have to bees. So I'm glad that that all passed over, even though yes, it was a real emergency situation, and I know you had to uh, kind of power through that to make sure it didn't get uh, any more complex. I guess, right? I mean, it's. Uh, it's all behind you, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, no, it's, it's behind me, but uh, yeah, but no, it was it was it was not fun. Uh, but a lot of steroids and antibiotics and things uh, got everything under control. But it's a good thing I did uh, go to the doctor. So, <laughs> little uh, point, I guess, to any listener out there: uh, take take these things pretty seriously if you start having any sort of reaction, um, because they're not to be messed around with. <laughs> yeah, sometimes medical intervention is really. Uh, the key to, to getting through a specific event. Um, and where we're at now on the Neil Garfield show is we're not doing legal intervention because as I tell listeners all the time, this is a topic show and we discuss important matters related to mortgage securitization and foreclosure. Essentially what's happened since the big uh, mortgage meltdown of 2008 <clears throat> And that topic is the topical place where we are going to start today, and Bill will be diving into that and giving out uh, lots of good insight and information. And his first topic, uh, Bill's topic today, is going to be breaking down this uh receivership going all the way back to the receivership where essentially the FDIC took over the WAMU assets before 
you know, using the bankruptcy process. Um, I don't think it would be necessarily a standard term to say that that was kind of like a money laundering operation going on <laughs> to sanitize Bamu assets into JFAX assets through the through the FDIC receivership and bankruptcy at the time. And again, this is a topical show, so uh, we do have some license to uh, creatively describe events. And again, none of this is legal advice. Uh, I think, though, listeners need to take note, though, that there is such a thing in the legal world as a blanket lien, and uh, Bill's going to be explaining that a bit. Uh, Essentially, it allows a workaround on the requirement to otherwise present very specific evidence related to each in this case, mortgage note. Instead, you can just create this kind of catch-all theory that applied to all of Wamu's notes that were, again, theoretically, legitimately, uh, in the event, ostensibly transferred to uh, Chase. It was all signed off on at the end of the day. However, we're still in court fighting this atrocity, and... uh, People around the country are still making real headway, and some of that headway is developing, and I think Bill is at the forefront of challenging that, frankly. So, um, you know, the key here is that when this blanket lien was created, the FDIC then, in terms of its representations within the bankruptcy and otherwise, was not even able to claim that there's – there's a legal event connected with the note that you would normally recognize with the purchase of the note. No warranties as to enforceability, collectability, or any other liens associated with a specific mortgage note. So, uh, you know, it's really pretty extraordinary. And then Bill's also going to revisit a topic that I did discuss a couple weeks ago, and he's going to get into further detail about the uh, Nation Star deposition in which the deponent was essentially conceding that he really didn't have, you know, information to show that there's a proper money trail related to the, uh, the assignment that was at issue in that case where NationStar essentially came in at some point as a servicer. So he'll have some interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, take on that as well. And so, Bill, why don't you uh, go ahead and uh, start off with this blanket lien situation. It is an interesting – and it's a very interesting angle, and I think it's one that litigants can use. So uh, that's the best place to start. Well, I, I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Charles. Um, and the two topics, obviously, the first one here with the blanket lien and then going on to the bit about NationStar. I mean, these are really uh, this bombshell stuff. Um, I know if anybody has been in this field for uh, since the beginning of the crash, you know, when you'd see – articles posted like in Kempe Countrywide when Linda DiMartini made the explosive uh, admission that nothing was ever transferred to the trust. You'd see these articles with the uh, 
nuclear bomb clouds going off, you know, bombs. Well, that's, that's really what, you know, uh, we're dealing with on these two topics right here. So the first one being that blanket lean, um, uh, I, I like to basically call it conveying the unknown, right? Okay. Because that's exactly what we've got here with uh, this newfound evidence of this blanket lean. And what I'm talking about here is that um, a week before the receivership on September 25th, 2008, uh, when the FDIC came in and took over Washington Mutual Bank, uh, th according to the final bankruptcy examiner's report, it's about a 369-page report filed in the Washington Mutual Inc. bankruptcy, uh, there's details uh, buried in the bowels of that document that uh, uh, I finally unearthed. Uh, it's a very large docket and so much information. And it's, I've been digging in it for 10 years, and lo and behold, I keep finding new stuff. Well, this one's pretty significant. Because what they discuss in this uh, bankruptcy examiner's report is that the Office of Thrift Supervision, which is really the first entity that came in to take over Washington Mutual Bank, and then the OTS turned it over to the FDIC receiver. Uh, the OTS granted, per the request of the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, a blanket lien on all Washington Mutual Bank assets on a week before the receivership. And the reason they did that was because clearly uh, Washington Mutual Bank uh, was in dire straits and their primary method or their business model was to originate, securitize, sell, and retain servicing. Okay, that's, what, that's why they pumped the secondary markets with hundreds of billions of dollars of these toxic waste assets uh, to investors across the globe leading up to the crash. That was their business model. It wasn't to originate and retain on their own books and records. So we know very clearly, and my point for years has been, that all these Washington Mutual Bank loans were sold and securitized. Whether or not you could identify a specific trust or not, um, they were still securitized. And so uh, people were saying, well, you know, you gotta have the evidence. You gotta show what trust it's in and find the trust. Well. Whether or not it was in a trust, we now have this critical information showing the blanket lien, and I want to explain why it's so important. When this blanket lien was granted, the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, which is a private entity, it's a private investor bank, it's not the Federal Reserve, or, you know, don't conjure up any ideas that this is somehow the Fed window or, or whatever where they're accessing money. But anyhow, in the origination to securitize sell model, what Washington Mutual Bank would do and through their subsidiaries is they would securitize these, convert them into securities, and then sell them to the uh, federal home loan banks. Um, and, of course, uh, the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco being a primary one here in the end, um, in exchange for freeing up cash to go out and originate more loans. So that was, the, that was the cycle. That was the business model. So the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco a week before the receivership said, listen, we're not going to continue to lend and purchase any more of these loans and, and create liquidity for Washington Mutual Bank to continue to do this unless we're provided the assurance uh, uh, that in the event the bank fails, we get a priority lien, blanket lien interest in all Washington Mutual Bank assets. Okay, so that was granted by the OTS one week before the receivership. And, and it's very clear, all assets. So it makes it, uh, there's no question that even if you can't identify a trust and the loan was sold to certain investors beforehand, this now shows that the lien was given on all the assets. Now, why is that important? 
important because under the federal code, uh, USC, I believe, uh, 12, 1430, it describes that any lien granted on an asset to the federal home loan bank, to any federal home loan bank, is given a priority lien interest and it's uh, over any FDI receivership or bankruptcy or, or anything. So they've got priority lien interest. That's a that's, uh, very, very important uh, point because uh, when the FDIC comes in or Chase comes in and says, we purchased all the assets of the Washington Mutual Bank through the PAA, well, the FDIC didn't have the rights. They didn't have the pri priority lien interest in any of those assets to convey and sell. Right? So it's so important to understand when you now look at the purchase and assumption agreement, this vague document that Chase has been waving or the FDIC, whoever's been waving it, saying this is the sole uh, document that gives us the authority uh, to assign and transfer and, and do what we're doing or it gives us beneficial ownership, that is simply not, that's simply not true. Because if you look at Section 3.3 of the PAA, it's very clear and it's all in bold caps that they were, that the title to all this stuff, not only was it unknown, but then logically, it's all unmarketable stuff. It's all being whatever's in there, whatever's in the PA, which we now know is nothing. It was an empty paper bag. But they went ahead and they're saying, whatever's being conveyed here, uh, we make no, uh, it's as is with no warranties whatsoever regarding enforceability, collectability or if there are any unknown liens or liens out there that exist on any of these assets. Okay, well, the FDIC knew they didn't have the lien interest. They had nothing to convey, period. Nothing to sell, period, within that PAA. So as that segues into the authority of the power of attorney documents, well, those are all bogus as well because, you know, it, it logic dictates that, a principle, or you can't convey something that you can't identify, right? There's no schedule. There's nothing there. So what are you conveying? A ghost, nothing, an empty paper bag. And so uh, the power of attorneys are bogus. It's all bogus. It's unmarketable title, uh, period. To every single one of these WAMU loans that Chase or whomever claim, or Chase claims got through the purchase and assumption agreement. So that's pretty much uh, – exposes them now for the fact that we knew that the, the, the titles, the, the, they were not certainly not marketable, but they're all fatally defective and clouded. Now, what that goes also into is understanding the, the part of servicing rights, okay? Because Chase would often say, well, we purchased the servicing rights. If we didn't get the ownership interest, then, you know, we purchased that to the PAA. Well, that's not true as well, all right? Because First of all, that's, it's a lien interest on an asset. So a, a mortgage servicing rights is also an asset to which the lien interest was provided elsewhere. But it's also uh, pointed out in the bankruptcy examiner's report that the servicing of these sold loans and pledged loans and the loans to the Federal Home Loan Bank were only transferred as a going concern, quote-unquote. Right? It's a going concern. It wasn't in a sale. We, they didn't purchase it. It was simply because the receivership happened so fast and it was so large and it happened in one day that they had to ensure that there was going to be no hiccups that when the lights turned on the next day that people uh, on these loans could, they could still technically have somebody to manage and, and watch over them and service them. So 
it's a, it's important to understand that the uh, the whole servicing part there was no purchase there as well. Okay, now when you're talking about marketable title and the fact that there's nothing to convey, and all of this is bogus, um, this has the title companies um, very concerned for obvious reasons, and it also has uh, Chase concerned uh, for a lot of reasons because of the fact that they indemnify all of the insurance policies of these homes that they're pushing through and selling that don't have marketable title that they've basically stolen and have uh, pushed forward. And um, this is uh, potentially, and you have to look at your own states and consult with counsel in your own uh, jurisdiction uh, as to what rights you may have to go back and potentially challenge title because in Oregon, for example, which I'm real familiar with, which is a non-judicial state, there was a huge case that I talked about in a prior show called Wolf versus GMAC. And that case is very clear that if there was no authority to substitute trustee and give power of sale to a trustee, if that, uh, if that authority didn't exist, uh, then, it, then there was no power of sale. The sale didn't happen. It's void. And it's you can challenge that post-sale because the interest of the, of the homeowner was never terminated by, by a valid sale under the Oregon Trustee Act. And so, and there's no a, a statute of limitations really in, in a lot of ways, and I'm not, I'm not making a legal opinion here, but you have to look at this, is that these titles to all these WAMU, Chase, FDIC, particular loans that went non-judicial in the foreclosure process, are, a lot of them need to be reevaluated in terms of going back under Wolf versus GMAC and this evidence to potentially seek out and find out uh, if you still have rights. So that's got them very, very concerned. Um, as, as one little housekeeping matter, I just want to make a, a note of here is that I'm coming across a lot of really great information these days. And I, unfortunately it's, it's hard to keep up with posting articles on my website um, and getting this information out to everybody. I don't, I, I, I don't know how Neil puts out so much content every day, Charles. It's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, the energizer bunny there that uh, how he continues to put such quality content out there on a daily basis. Um, but that being said, <laughs> for the first time, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for the first time, um, I'm actually signed up with a social media through Getter. Uh, so Bill Padalo is my handle at Getter. Um, I've never done Twitter. I've never done Facebook. I've never done any of the social media stuff ever before. Um, but I am doing Getter at this point, and I'm hoping that I can start to, in live time, get some of this information out um, uh, and, and quick posts on Getter as it comes in. So uh, listeners out there, spread the word if you want to follow me and maybe get some good information in the future. That's a good way to do it. Um, so now turning a bit uh, on the uh, – there's, there's so much on that FDIC. Oh, thing. It's, just, it's, it's you, phenomenal. Before you jump, in on, uh, before you jump yeah. in on that, let me just add real quickly for listeners. I mean, it's a really fundamental abuse of the bankruptcy process for there to be this blanket lien thrown on in the way you uh, very, I think, uh, succinctly yet with detail described – one week before the receivership. This was a forced receivership, and the vast majority of receiverships related to bankruptcies are forced, and they're forced bankruptcies. And it was forced by 
the absolute mammoth collapse of WAMU because of the mortgage meltdown. And uh, WAMU ended up, you know, with literally hundreds of millions, potentially billions, even at the time uh, that they could not cover, you know, through uh, periodic financing arrangements that all major Corporate enterprises are drawing on on a regular basis. They have uh, weekly, monthly, daily loan drawdowns. In any event, Wally blew through all of that, and they were just uh, a completely compromised, destroyed company with billions upon billions of dollars uh, that could not be uh, made right within a short period of time, hence the forced bankruptcy. I mean, as you can imagine, I think all listeners will appreciate this, whatever side of the aisle they are on uh, listening to this show. As you can imagine, uh, a corporate receivership, this mammoth, uh, of course it was telegraphed months in advance of, of, of it being a possibility that it could go down this way. It actually all did come together pretty quickly in the, Late summer, early fall of September 2008, well, September was kind of one of the triggering months. Um, What I'm trying to say here is if an individual goes into bankruptcy and they are changing liens and going in and essentially recording new uh, variations on the subject property that they're coming to bankruptcy with, I mean, that can be considered out-and-out fraud if they change the name of uh, who's on title to the property, if they deed any interest in the property. In fact, any change of that sort, even many months, you know how you read the bankruptcy code, sometimes even years, prior to the actual bankruptcy, can be considered fraud. Certainly a change of this magnitude affecting all these different liens at issue in the WAMU bankruptcy one week before the receivership. I mean, it certainly uh, sounds in and patently appears to be open fraud. Uh, was it ever addressed or were there ever any legal hearings on that, not to my knowledge. And again, I'm not drawing a legal conclusion. I'm simply uh, discussing the topic as Bill is relating it. Um, but well, you know, Bill, I, yeah, there's, there's, there's two more quick points on that. Is if you look at 3.3 of the PAA, it says in there during the conveyance that there was two things required. One, a bill of sale, and two, either a receiver's deed on any of the conveyances to these unknown assets. Of course, those are never produced. Uh, the second point also is that in having to get permission to continue to service and act on behalf of the real party in interest being the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco with the blanket lien, uh, FHLB in San Francisco is a primary target now for, um, for subpoenas, whatever you want to do, to get to the bottom of what they knew. Because I, it, it certainly appears uh, that they are now clamming up uh, when information is now being sought on subpoena. They are being very arrogant. They feel they don't have to respond. Uh, They're keeping their mouth shut. And um, it's now very important to go after and make them a central target here as to what they knew and what they were lying in the weeds and allowing to happen as well. So they're complicit to this 
every bit as much as the FDIC from, from, from my position. Okay, that's good information. Um, actually, given, given where we are on time today, Bill, uh, I think uh, in a future show soon, we will get into the nuts and bolts that I raised some of uh, regarding the nation star deposition that you were going to be talking about. Um, I'm actually going to get into uh, kind of an interesting, uh, even at some level entertaining uh, conversation that Neil had with one of his Washington insiders. And then I'm going to be uh, doing a brief COVID update. Uh, But, this uh, conversation that Neil had, I suspect he'll be logging about this and otherwise bringing it up. You know, I, I'm sure through his blog, he'll probably find some information about it. I mean, remember many uh, decades ago, we, Neil did work on Wall Street and was an insider himself. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. We all know that. He always bores down into heavy details with anything. So. He's got some contacts. I think some of them are from his Wall Street days and some of them are more recent. Unsurprisingly, a number of these contacts uh, prefer to remain anonymous. Nevertheless, they have a lot of good information uh, that we're in a position here on the show to relate sometimes. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll tell I'll, I'll kind of give a little bit of uh, detail about Neil's recent conversation with this Wall Street insider. Uh, and it's a, it was kind of like a thought experiment that the insider was relating. And this is all going back to the mortgage meltdown. And uh, the way you kind of could, could frame this, it's as if a, a neighbor of yours is, is asking you for a $100 loan. So you give them an IOU. You don't give them uh, the loan, um, but you get a promissory note. So in essence, um, one side's getting the promissory note for $100. The other side is actually not getting the money. And then to further the thought experiment, uh, the person who asked for the $100 loan, they then sell the note and still the neighbor has got no money. So uh, it's kind of a curiosity. Um, and then he's got, you know, several layers to this, Neil does, that his insider contact is relating. I don't think I'm doing proper justice to... Uh, his story, uh, but he related very uh, entertainingly to me. So I leave it to him to add further details on that. Uh, I will say on the COVID front, uh, you know, the, the bureaucratic architecture continues to get more and more tentacled and more and more um, all-encompassing, particularly in the uh, so-called uh, blue states like California, uh, the, uh, you know, the prospect of vaccine passports and all kinds of other interventions are continuing to pace. And 
uh, you know, I will say what I've said on a previous show. I, I very much appreciate that people's position about this, whether their their position is being distilled in a legal uh, format or it's simply a matter of personal preference. Believe me, I fully understand and appreciate that people can have all kinds of legitimate uh, differences about these issues. And I'm not on here uh, presenting my position. I mean, uh, my position may come out uh, based on my tone at times. Uh, I believe in absolute open debate. I'm very old school about that. I think there are a lot of legitimate uh, positions related to the whole COVID crisis. Uh, I can say, though, that restrictions at courts, I think, are going to become more and more tentacled in the blue states. And the red states without vaccine passports and where there's a challenge of mass mandates, again, whether or not you're for or against these things, it's it's good information in the sense that, yes, we are seeing a real uh, disparity between blue states and red states and how this is enforced. And, yes, I think much greater court restrictions are coming in the blue states. So on that note, uh, Neil will be back in, uh, next week. And thank you, Bill. Yeah, my pleasure. Time flies. <laughs> the opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.